Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Charlie Walter. I'm the shepherding pastor here at Keystone. And I am excited to be preaching on anxiety this morning. Uh, I've noticed that for some reason, anxiety has become a greater and greater concern for many at Keystone and really everywhere. Uh, I didn't think it was that big of a problem for me until I started working on this sermon. Uh, First, I, I couldn't believe all the examples of anxiety in my own life that I could tap into. And second, on uh, Tuesday, as I realized all there is to say about this topic of anxiety, it was hard to know where to stop. So I got anxious about a sermon on anxiety, (laughs) go figure. So on Tuesday, I stopped and went for a prayer walk and put into practice many of the things that I'm going to be teaching on this morning. Um, So I'm thinking that uh, that would be a good thing for us to do right now. So uh, please join me as we pray for our message this morning. Heavenly Father, you know that uh, this is unfortunately uh, a big problem uh, in the world and seems to be getting worse. And so, uh, Father, I'm coming to you right now, asking for your help, because um, this is not good for us when we allow anxiety to rule our lives. Uh, we, uh, we think we should, we should change, we should find peace. And more importantly, Lord, uh, I know that especially when we're not putting our trust in you, that is disappointing to you because we are not glorifying you by trusting you. And since you created us as our main purpose is to glorify you, we pray that you would help us do that. Use today's study of your word uh, to teach us, to, uh, to change us. Uh, May we leave here this morning uh, different and uh, with some tools, uh, with some things that will help us to uh, at least minimize anxiety and to tap into the peace that we find in you. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen. In case you have not found them by now, there's um, sermon outlines look like this in your bulletin. We put a couple there inside uh, each bulletin. So uh, if you want to uh, use that, maybe just as an outline to follow along, or there's also uh, uh, space on there for you to take notes. As I thought about my own times of anxiety, there's one that rises right to the top. Keith and I were deer hunting together in Bradford County a number of years ago, and uh, I'll confess that it was the most frightened I have ever been. I was, it it was getting toward the end of the day, so I was heading back to the truck, um, which I had marked on my GPS, showing me that I was 0.6 miles away, no problem. But at 0.4 miles out, I went into a swampy thicket. I considered going around it, but decided that because I got through a similar thicket earlier in the day, I'd be fine to go through this one too. As I got into it, the six-foot-high bushes got really dense. 
Uh, unlike the other thicket, the bushes were so close together that I had to push my way through the tangled branches. Uh, it got so thick that it took all my strength to force myself through, and it was getting worse and worse the farther in that I went. It was only about 15 minutes until sunset, and it was really foggy. I looked at my GPS. I still had 0.3 miles to go. Do I turn around and, and fight my way back out? No. I decided that it had to open up soon, so I decided to keep going. I was wrong. It got even thicker. By then, I was too far in, and I had no choice but to keep going. At that point, it was so thick, I could barely move at all. I felt trapped, and I panicked. I panicked. I was praying my, like, like my life depended on it because I thought it did. My mind raced to all the possible worst-case life-threatening scenarios. What if in my struggle I, I lose my compass and my GPS batteries go dead? I'd not only be stuck, but lost. I could wander aimlessly all night. What if the batteries in my flashlight die? I'm soaking wet from the rain that day and walking through a wet swamp. How quickly would hypothermia set in? And Keith had no idea where I was. My panic turned into animal-like survival. Like a bull, I put my head down and, and charged through the brush, pushing and thrashing to get through. Uh, the, bra the branches were, were scratching my face, knocking my glasses off. But thinking that it was a matter of survival, I just took off my glasses and continued to try to muscle my way through. My heart was racing. My lungs actually hurt from breathing so hard. I looked at my GPS. I still had 0.2 miles to go, but at least I was making progress. In many places, it got so thick I couldn't get through no matter how hard I pushed. My only choice was to follow these, these low, tunnel-like deer trails under the brush. I had to crawl on my hands and knees through two-inch deep water, uh, trying to hold my gun up out of the water, and my backpack kept getting caught on the, on the branches. Then I looked at my GPS again, 0.25 miles out, not 0.2, 0.25. I was headed the wrong way. Somehow, in, in that swamp, I got in, in those deer trails, I must have gotten turned around, and I was actually headed now away from the truck. I was constantly praying and asking God for this thicket to end. I got to a point that it looked like it had, because I could stand up and, and, and walk, but it was only like the eye of a storm. In another 40 feet, I was back into the thick of it again. More bull-like charging, more crawling, more praying. Finally, it opened up. I was 0.15 miles from the truck, and the rest was relatively easy terrain. As I came out of the woods, I heard Keith calling me on my walkie-talkie. For all I know, I may have been within walkie-talkie range while I was even in the thicket. But I was so panicked, it didn't even occur to me to call him. A lot of things didn't occur to me uh, when I went into that panic mode. 
I wasn't really lost. In, in reality, I was that close to the truck that Keith may have been able to actually hear me if I just yelled for help. I had two flashlights on me. I still had at least four hours of battery life in my GPS. I simply reacted irrationally. But what I am really ashamed of is that it didn't occur to me that I have a God who is always beside me, always protecting me, always loving me. Although I had enough sense to pray, it was like I lost my sense of trust in him. What happened to my, to my Calvinism, that God is in control of all things? It didn't even occur to me. The animal-like panic was embarrassing. It's embarrassing now to kind of tell you guys about it. I, I don't want to think about what that may have looked like on video. <laughs> I can kind of laugh about it now, but it is still shameful and embarrassing that I let my mind race to the improbable worst-case scenarios. I believe that in some ways I experienced a panic attack. So what about you? Any embarrassing stories of, of anxiety that you're hoping that no one finds out about? Uh, or maybe they aren't embarrassing and, uh, or funny. Maybe they are serious and frightening. Maybe you're still struggling, struggling this, this very moment with an anxiety. Anxiety can be a small or a large problem for us. Think through the following examples that, I, that I'll give you to see if any of them strike a chord. How about public speaking or fear of death? I believe those two are the top of most people's lists. How about fear of man? That's, I'm talking about people-pleasing, where we desperately want the affirmation from others, and it makes us anxious when we don't get it or when we get criticized. How about germophobia? That's, that's, of course, the fear of germs, especially anything like the coronavirus. Obviously, that's an anxiety producer right now. How about the weather? Not, not just fear of severe weather, but perhaps farmers fearing a drought. How about sports? Do you get anxious just watching your favorite team in a close game? How about waiting on a diagnosis from the doctor or any health uncertainties? How about relationships that are not what you'd like them to be? Or financial security or insecurity? Deadlines? Fear of snakes or spiders? Claustrophobia, the, the fear of tight places, fear of heights, fear of flying, fear of not doing well at your job, fear of crowds, fear of water, failure, fear of embarrassment, fear of the darkness, fear of fear. It's called phobophobia. <laughs> it's getting anxious about being anxious. Sounds funny, but it's a real thing. I've experienced it myself, getting anxious about being anxious. Fear of hospitals, fear of technology. And the, and the last one I'll give you, fear of sharing the gospel. And then there are anxieties that, uh, that reach a level that the psychiatry world uh, actually puts a label on. And they show up in this book 
called the DSM-5. This is actually a DSM-4. It's an older version. But uh, uh, it's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Uh, that's a mouthful. It makes me anxious just to say it. Um, and, uh, but it has uh, all kinds of anxiety things in there. Uh, a couple of them are generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, uh, panic disorder or panic attacks. So I've just named a number of different anxieties. Uh, and what I want to do right now, I want to take an informal poll right now to see how many of us have suffered with anxiety, whether I've named it or not. So I want you to raise your hands um, as to how many of us have experienced anxiety in the last, let's say, two years. So raise your hands up. All right, and, and get them up high, okay? Keep them up now. Look around, okay? Don't be embarrassed to turn around and look at how many hands are up. I, th I think it's actually kind of encouraging to know that I'm not the only one. You are not the only one that's struggling with anxiety. And God knows that it's a common problem. So there's no shortage of verses in his word to help us. Now, the words fear, anxiety, and worry show up 399 times in the New Living Translation of the Bible. Anxiety can be a big deal for us. It's also a big deal for God. So let's talk about us first. How does it affect us? Could produce ulcers, high blood pressure, even nervous breakdowns. Um, could produce panic attacks. And maybe you're not familiar with what, it, what a panic attack even is. If you haven't, one, if you haven't had one yourself if, if, or you've never seen anybody have one, you might not know what a, what a panic attack is. So I found, a, I think, a good description of it in this little book. Actually, I discovered this book a couple months ago. It's called Help, I Get Panic Attacks. It is a really helpful book, not just if you get panic attacks. If you s struggle with any kind of anxiety long-term uh, and it's just, you can't seem to beat it, uh, grab one of these books. I, tried to, I got as many as I could this week from Amazon. I think we got 50 of them. All right, so I've got them out there on the Info Center. So if you struggle with anxiety and you will read this book, grab one of those copies on your way out. I think you'll find it beneficial. Uh, it's not just panic attacks. It deals with any kind of anxiety. It's got good, helpful stuff in there. All right, let me read a description they have in here of panic attacks. A panic attack is an extreme fear experience which is out of proportion to the actual situation. Normally, when we perceive danger, it is natural to be struck with fear. Listen to this next statement. The danger we perceive may, however, be real or imagined our brain doesn't differ differentiate between the two. Automatically, your brain registers the danger and sends impulses to the adrenal glands. These release epinephrine and the fight or flight hormone adrenaline and other chemicals, causing a series of physiological events, including increased blood flow. All right, and then it has a list of some of, the, some of the symptoms that may show up in a panic attack. Pounding heart or rapid heartbeat, sweating, trembling or shaking, fear of shortness of breath or smothering sensations, chest pain. I was feeling many of these when I was stuck in that swamp. 
feeling dizzy, lightheaded or faint, feel of choking, numbness or tingling, chills or hot flashes, nausea, feeling detached, fear of losing control, even fear of dying. Now, it could be that the effects for us of anxiety are much less than what I, than what I just read there. Um, some of them might be that we simply avoid certain situations because we don't want to be anxious. Uh, could be relational tensions. Uh, could be uh, overreacting to certain, to certain circumstances. Gastrointestinal problems. Do I need to explain that one? No. Not being able to sleep or eat. Pessimistic outlooks. Or being overprotective parents. Those are just some of the things as, as far as how anxiety might affect us. So it's a real pain for us, but it's also a problem for God. Oftentimes, but not always, our anxiety is an indication that we are not trusting God enough. Or that we are putting something or someone ahead of God. That's idolatry, and that's a big deal to God. If we don't trust God, we are not glorifying God. Let me just do a little side note here. I believe that some anxiety can be caused by physiological problems. I am not an expert on that, but I believe that there are people and or times when medication is necessary. I am not opposed to anti-anxiety medication, although I do think it is overprescribed. Enough said about that. All right, where are we, where are we at here? We know that, that, we, uh, that, that a lot of us struggle with this. Uh, we know that it can be a pain, and we know that God is not glorified when we don't trust him. But we didn't really define anxiety yet, so let's do that. According to Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, anxiety is a painful or apprehensive uneasiness of mind, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. Notice that it says impending or anticipated. In other words, anxiety usually occurs as we are concerned about the future, about tomorrow, not necessarily today. As, as we read in that little booklet, uh, the danger can be real or imagined. I also want to say that not all anxiety is bad. For instance, here at Keystone, because of our concern over the coronavirus, we are taking some precautions to protect everyone here, like encourage you, encouraging you not to come if you are sick or to keep your kids home if, or if they are sick or to use hand sanitizers often. Uh, and not to shake hands with other people here on a, on a Sunday morning. So that's, that's a, a good anxiety. That, that, that anxiety, that concern, has, I think, has produced some good things. Um, here's a funny example of the difference between good and bad anxiety regarding the fear of snakes. Liz and I ride bicycles along the Pine Creek Rail Trail a fair amount, and it's not uncommon to see rattlesnakes along the trail. I am not a big fan of snakes, so I get a little anxious when I see them. But I don't flip out or anything crazy like that. I think I have a reasonable or 
what we call a good anxiety regarding snakes. And that's a good thing to have. However, Liz's Aunt Linda is a different story. One time we were with her and uh, she told us that she was so scared of snakes that if she even turned the page in a magazine and there was a picture of a snake there, she would scream and throw the magazine. I thought she was exaggerating. Before I go any further, um, let me explain that I'm a practical joker and maybe get a little bit of a thrill out of scaring people. I don't believe it's a spiritual gift. All right, back to the story. Later that day, we were out to eat at a restaurant with Liz's family. Liz was sitting right beside Aunt Linda. I, I whispered to Liz, to, Liz to, to rub her foot up against Aunt Linda's ankle and yell, snake. Unfortunately, being the, sub, the submissive wife that Liz is, she did it. Linda jumped straight up out of her chair, was screaming at the top of her lungs, and ran out of the restaurant, still screaming, into the parking lot, never to come back in. And, and everyone, in, everyone else in the restaurant stood up, uh, wondering what was going on, and it seemed like they were all looking at me. <laughs> I didn't win any points with Liz's family that day. But my point is that I think her anxiety to snakes is an overreaction. And that's when an anxiety goes from a good anxiety to a bad anxiety. What we're gonna focus on today is mostly bad anxiety. And we're gonna turn to one of those 399 texts on anxiety. It's Matthew 6, 24 through 34. And this is in the middle of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is the one that's talking here. Uh, We're jumping in right where Jesus is teaching on money and possessions. Matthew 6, 24 through 34. We have it up on the screens, but uh, uh, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to uh, open up to that section and follow along. All right. Jumping in, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. Don't they, or they don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as, beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. 
So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. All right, we could, we could just sum this up saying stop worrying and trust God. But I think there's more to it than just that. So uh, it, it starts off with, with an idolatry problem. It says we cannot serve two masters. God is a jealous God and he wants us to see him as our master. He wants us to trust him. No other thing or person should come even close to the level of master. When we worry, it's possible that we have made something or someone an idol. Jesus uh, just gives us a sampling here. He talks about money, food, drink, and clothing. But it would be easy for us to add to the list. And, And we'll talk about identifying our idols and inordinate desires in a bit. Now to verse 25. I like that Jesus says he's talking about everyday life. Anxiety doesn't just come when you're stuck in the middle of a thicket. It can happen in everyday life. For you athletes, what are the coaches putting you into the game and counting on you to make that critical shot at the buzzer? Or whether he has just pulled you out of the game because he thinks you're not playing that well. I'm guessing that in either case, you're getting anxious, maybe too anxious. For you moms, your 12-year-old daughter wants to go play with the neighbor girl, but, he, but you don't really know her family, and you heard some nasty rumors about her. What will you do? Or more importantly, how will you feel? Will a level of, of bad anxiety flare up? You see, anxiety is a possibility every day. It's why so many of us raised our hands a few minutes ago. Right, down to verse 27. It, this is so simple and so good. Jesus says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? That's just common sense. But, but we don't think about it when we're worrying. Let's say that your family is, is waiting for the medical test results to come back for a loved one. In my personal ministry experience, I've seen that that is usually the most stressful time. It's, it's, it's before we get the diagnosis. Uh, once we get it, I feel like we can start to deal with it. But, th- but up until that time when we don't even know what we're dealing with, that seems to be the, um, the most stressful time. Uncertainty about the future is stress- stressful, but worry is not going to add even a moment to your life. But again, let me emphasize that I'm talking about bad anxiety here. Having an appropriate level of anxieties, especially when we think of the coronavirus, if it leads you to wash your hands more, that may literally add moments or even years to your life. Now to verse 30. Uh, Jesus is hitting hard here. He assures his listeners that God will care care for them, but then he rebukes them for their worry by saying, O you of little faith. Ouch. Well, what about us? In the midst of bad anxiety, how much are we really trusting God? Let's not lie to ourselves. Let's be brutally honest. Functionally, 
How much are we trusting God? A lot or a little? And then in verse 32, he turns up the heat even more. He compares his listeners to unbelievers. He says that their questioning of God's provision, it says, dominates the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. God does know our needs, and he will supply them as he sees fit. As believers, we should trust in that. In verse 33, it's perhaps the best instruction in this whole passage. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. What is the kingdom of God? Not to overstate the obvious, but it's the place where God is king. That means he's the boss. He rules our lives. He actually makes the rules. He's calling all the shots. He's in control. He is uh, is the one who not only knows what the diagnosis is, but he's the one who has determined it. He is the king. And, And there's another thing about him being the king that is even more important. A king is to be honored and even worshiped. And when we worship God the king, he and his desires become more important to us than whatever we were worrying about. Last verse, verse 34. Jesus says, so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Remember what we, uh, that we said anxiety is usually a concern about an unknown future. Here Jesus is saying not to worry about the future. We are to focus on today. Today may very well have its own problems that need to be dealt with. So focus on the present. All right, now I want to get very practical. When we face bad anxiety, what should we do? And if you flip your your sermon notes over, uh, that's where we give you some ideas uh, to do it. And I broke it down into three categories that I think are pretty easy to remember. Look around, look up, and look within. Look around, look up, look within. We'll start with looking around. We need to analyze our anxiety. The first question we should ask ourselves is, what am I fearful of? And try to be specific. And then consider whether it is a rational or an irrational fear. Think realistically. What are the chances of what I am afraid of actually happening? Let me tell you another embarrassing story. Back in 2009, Liz and I and another couple visited Zion National Park in Utah. Now, all four of us have a fear of heights, some worse than others. There's a five-mile hike there that goes up to a lookout called Angel's Landing. Um, The other three didn't even want to try it, but I saw how many people were doing it, young and old, and I figured I can handle this. So I headed up alone. When you get to the steep part, there are 21 switchbacks real close together, and it's called Walter's Wiggles. It really is. It wasn't named after me, but it very well could have been because my legs were shaking so badly. Uh, Here's a picture that I took from looking down on 
Walter's Wiggles. And you can't see all 21 switchbacks because it's so steep there, but they're there. Um, that leads up to a place called Scout's Landing. And um, uh, I found a video of the trail online that might help you picture it, um, literally. So let's, uh, it's just a short video. Uh, that is it right there. The red line indicates the, the trail, kind of starts going through the valley here, fairly flat. Then it goes into this canyon, starts to go uphill right here. The canyon gets even narrower. You're kind of walking back along the side of this ridge. Right here is where Walter Wiggles, Walter's Wiggles are. Okay, that's where it gets really steep. And you end up uh, up here at the top, and that's where uh, I think it's called Scout's Lookout is right there. And you look out across this, what I think it's like a knife-like ridge, because this is where we're trying to get to. That is Angel's Landing right there but you have to cross this ridge. I think it's like a, I think I remember them saying it's like a thousand foot drop on either side of this ridge. All right, you can finish it, Gene. This is, this is where we're trying to get to. That's a view from the, from the uh, valley floor, all right? And this is a view from Scout Lookout, all right? Um, and you look out across here. This is the ridge you have to go across, and then you go up here, and uh, that is Angel's Landing. All right. And um, uh, the next view is a picture that, uh, that I took from that scout lookout, and um, that is um, um, me. I don't know if you can see my white knuckles hanging onto that tree stump, but I was scared to death. And uh, the, the place where I had to go was uh, behind me. Uh, I was thinking that this might be the last picture of me still alive. I stayed there at Scout's Landing for quite a while wrestling with my fears. Uh, rationally, and I consider myself a rational guy, this should not have been that hard. A at no place along the ridge was the trail narrower than like four feet wide. I can walk on a city sidewalk that's four feet wide without falling off the edge of it. Why can't I walk across this ridge? BJ's just laughing at me. He doesn't have a fear of heights, apparently. All right. Um, why was I scared? It, it might have had something to do with that, with that thousand-foot drop on either side. Well, I'm embarrassed to say I wimped out. I turned around and headed back down. But that is not the most humiliating point. Going down was way scarier than going up. When you're, when you're hiking up a mountain, a mountain you're looking into the, to the rock. When you're hiking down, you're looking, it feels like you're looking into thin air. It was freaking me out. You'll notice that in the instructions I gave you, uh, what did I say? Uh, we're looking outward, we're looking um, uh, upward, and we're looking within. There's nothing about looking down. That is a really stupid idea. On the trickier parts of the trail, they have uh, chains for you to hold on. And there you can see in the picture, that's one of the chains that they have along the, the side of the walk that, uh, that you can hold on to. Um, 
I can tell you that I had both my hands on that chain as I, I'm going hand over hand down this trail holding on to the, to the chain. And here's the most humiliating part. Uh, part way down at a spot that looks like this, where the trail was pretty wide, uh, there, was a, there was a chain there, and um, there was a father and his preteen daughter seated right on the trail with their backs up against the chain. Everyone else, whether they're coming up the hill or down the hill, is just walking around them like no big deal. There's plenty of room. They're walking around him, uh, but not me. Uh, I'm coming down hand over hand on the chain. I realized there was no way that I was going to let go of that chain to go around them. So what do I do? I sat down beside them, struck up a conversation, figuring that I could wait them out. But in our conversation, the father said his two sons were headed up to Angel's Landing and were not expected back for a long time. So I figured I needed to man up and walk around them. As I stood up, I realized I couldn't do it. I had to grab that chain. So picture, picture this. These two are sitting here chain like right behind their, their shoulders, okay? And I'm, I've got to go around them. And I'm holding on to this chain. I have to reach around their face, grab the other side of the chain between them. We're like face to face, six inches apart. And, and I work my way around them. And I did get by them. Obviously, I made it back alive. Humiliated, but alive. So I tell you that story because I think it's a decent illustration of what I'm suggesting. I was looking around. What was I afraid of? I was afraid of falling off a 1,000-foot cliff. But it was an irrational fear. People with, with sandals, younger and older, were walking right around me, uh, right around those, those two people with no problem. Most of them were nowhere near, near the chain. Most people were not holding on to the chain. So, now that I've preached this sermon to myself, I would like to think that I can go back out there and that I could overcome my irrational fear and go, go the whole way to the top. Maybe someday I'll find out. What else do we do in the looking around stage? Ask yourself this. Is there something that we might be desiring more than we desire God? How about these? How about comfort, security, significance, respect, love, or approval? These aren't necessarily bad things unless we desire them too much. They may not be at the level of what we would call an idol, but, but they could be what we would call an inordinate desire. Inordinate means exceeding reasonable limits. So we want to identify any desires that have exceeded reasonable limits. For instance, if any human relationship has become an inordinate desire for us, any strain in that relationship can cause awful anxiety. 
So identify and get your desires down to the intensities where they should be. Last thing as far as looking around, ask yourself, ask yourself if you are focusing on the present or the unknown future. Remember verse 34, we are to focus on today, not tomorrow. I know I've had days when I, when I should have been super happy, out in my kayak fishing for smallmouth, but my mind wanders to tomorrow and what that might bring, especially what's on my to-do list for tomorrow that, that might not be fun. Focus on today. All right, next section, looking up. As I said earlier, as I got anxious on Tuesday about this sermon, I turned to God in prayer and it helped. That's a definite step we need to take. Pray. Psalm 9419 in the NASB uh, says it this way. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, I love how that's worded. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. God is a consoling God. And the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Let's turn to God for relief from our anxiety. And in 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter writes uh, that you are to be casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Just like, like casting a fishing rod, cast your anxieties far away and don't reel them back in. Now, if we're going to cast our anxieties to God, we need to trust that he can help us. Whenever we tell someone to trust God, it can sound trite. It shouldn't, but it might. And maybe we don't really trust God ourselves. I think it helps for us to examine why we can't trust God by looking at his attributes and or his ways. He loves us. There are many places we can see this, but none better than at the cross. God gave his only son so that we may be forgiven of our sins and have life with him. He loves us. He is wise. As we already pointed out in the Matthew passage, God already knows our needs even better than we do. He is good. Last week, Keith quoted Luke 18, 19 and said, only God is good. He's the perfect standard for goodness. He is a provider. Romans 8.32 says, Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? He is omnipresent. He is with us. No matter what situation we're in, we are not alone. I picture a scared child waking up from a nightmare and just the touch or voice of a loving parent helps him go back to sleep. It's the same way with God. Lastly, this is my favorite, he is sovereign. Or in other words, he's in control of all things. We may think that we're in control, but that's an illusion. It's as silly as Pete Buckwalter screaming at the television, thinking that his words will cause the Phillies to play better. Pete, it's not gonna happen. So when we see that God loves us, that he's wise, good, is a provider, is omnipresent, and is sovereign over all things, then we can come to realize that trusting him is not a trite suggestion. It's a beautiful solution to anxiety. 
So let's look up and say with the psalmist in, in Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. All right, last category, looking within. This has to do with identity change, which is another whole sermon or even a sermon series. Uh, we don't have time to go deep, but this is important, so I want to at least mention it. When God saves us, he puts the spirit of Christ in us. The Bible says we are in Christ, or Christ is in us, or we are united with Christ. These are all identity phrases. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, or 2 Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. If we looked at the whole passage, we'd come to see that the everything that Peter is referring to is the spirit of Christ that he put in us. That means that we have many of Christ's attributes available to us. And one of those attributes, and the one that I love the most, is peace, divine peace, God's peace. It's the opposite of anxiety. As we become more and more like Christ through sanctification, we should be able to experience more and more of that peace. Okay, to conclude, when we experience anxiety, we're going to look around, look up, and look within. Let me close with this story. Last year, the doctors discovered a a mass up against Phyllis McElrath's bladder. The doctors were pretty certain that it was bladder cancer. Phyllis was so scared that she put off seeing a surgeon, but finally got it scheduled for January 27th. Many of you got the prayer request to pray for her about it, and she is so grateful for your prayers. Well, when they operated, they did not discover cancer. They did not even discover a tumor. They discovered a third kidney and one that was actually working pretty well and did not need to be removed. I remember after the surgery uh, talking to Phyllis about the miracle of this being a third kidney and not cancer. And Phyllis replied that she was grateful that it was not cancer, but she said that wasn't the real miracle. She said that the miracle was the peace that she got before surgery day, a supernatural peace. She went into that surgery with a total trust in God, no matter what he had for her. That kind of peace comes from God. Praise be to him. So no matter what kind of anxiety we are facing, my hope is that we turn to God, who is our ultimate hope. And that will bring him glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have talked about this morning, anxiety is a, is a big deal, or it can be, can even be debilitating. So in many cases, especially when it reaches the level of a bad anxiety, it is not good for us, and we want, we want to work on that. We want to change it. You are our hope. You are our solution. We need to to turn to you. But Father, not only is it a bad thing for us, we realize that it's something that, that you don't perceive as good 
in terms of our relationship with you. Many times it shows that we are not trusting you enough, that we are not turning to you in faith and trust enough. And that doesn't bring you glory. And so, Father, we, we want to change that. We need your help. We need your transforming grace to change each of us. So not only for our good, but especially for your glory, we ask you for help. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen.